Hi, this is Darren Freeman and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to a week of ghouls, toffee apples and fireworks. After a goalless draw right before Hallow's Eve, we find ourselves wondering if that was a missed opportunity to wrap up our 21 points and shove them under the Christmas tree until Boxing Day. Nonetheless, two more games to try and do it, and positives to take. We'll discuss that along with our trip to the blue side of Manchester on Saturday before the bonfire starts burning. Was it a Mitrovic off day? How good were Pickford and his trusted centre-backs? Diop looking better. Is Harry Wilson alright? Brazilians? Will the cyborg be fit at the Etihad? And some bits more. Sam Diamond and Matt Arto are here. I'm J-Mac and this is Can't Score for Toffee on your Fulham Focus podcast. Fulham. And I'd just like to add, for the title of Can't Score for Toffee, that is no way an absolute sort of summary of what we've been doing this season. We've been scoring rather well just for this game. And I'll go to your opening thought statue of this. It was, uh, well, it seemed like we were all over them. We just couldn't actually get the three points in the end. Yeah, it was one of those frustrating draws where we should have won. We were the dominant team. We had all the shots. We had all the chances. But... It, it just it just wouldn't go in. And what I'm finding with this season so far is kind of a re-acclimatisation, re-accl- re- if that's that word, re- re-acclimatising, or like to being a mid-table Premier League team again. Obviously, that's early days. It could all go wrong. But as things stand, we're playing very well. We should be in the Premier League next year and we should be finishing in the mid-table. And... Part of that comes with getting frustrating nil-nil draws against other mid-table teams, and you know that's almost somewhat reassuring in a way. That yeah, it's an annoying result, but we are competing against these teams. We should have won, we didn't, but we didn't lose, and there's another point towards safety. Yeah, that's a good positive way of looking at it. I think a lot of people share that. I mean, it was a bit frustrating with some moments of some of our players, and we'll come on to that. Sam, mate, hello. I just want to know your thoughts, because Marcus Silva thought that, you know, we were the best team deserving of a win by far, and I just want to know if you agree with Silva's comments on that. I do agree. Um, I actually thought we played played pretty well. Um, I know since both you and Stato there used the word frustrating, and there was certainly an element of that. But that's usually one of the the, the, the two uh, emotions that you, you pick out of at the end of a nil-nil draw, the other being overwhelming boredom. And I don't think we had either of those, really. It certainly, well, put it this way, it wasn't a Scott Parker nil-nil. Um, we created lots of chances against a team who were coming off of a, a very good result. And yes, it would have been really nice to get the win. But at the end of the day, we're unbeaten in four and it's back-to-back clean sheets at the cottage. Yeah, we'll come on to again our failings maybe and just some players individually but do you think there's any credit we can give Stato for what Everton did I mean they have got one of the best rated defences in the league at the moment for a reason I think Tarkowski and Connor Cody together were very astute both together in their partnership and it, I mean Jordan Pickford seemed like probably their man of the match in some ways yeah for sure I mean I think largely this season Everton have been not a laughing stock, but they are performing way below to what their fans normally expect. 
They have Frank Lampard as a manager who, you know, he gets a lot of stick and he he maybe hasn't really proved himself yet. But to their credit, they have, I don't want to say pick up form because you look at the form book and they've lost like three in the bounce and they've got one win and then they drew against us. So it's not amazing form, but they've been putting in encouraging performances and they've actually got quite a good solid experience you know spine there they have Pickford in goal like you mentioned they have Cody and Tarkowski as their main centre-backs now which you know for most Premier League teams that's a really really good centre-back pairing with a ton of experience and it was always going to be difficult to try and you know breach that defence and get past it so yeah you know maybe frustrating isn't the right word and maybe you know a point is fine a point is good and you know, it's something for us to build on, especially with those back-to-back clean sheets. Mm. And what are your thoughts on this, Sam, mate, on Connor Cody and Tarkowski? I mean, that's a, those two brand-new centre-backs been brought in, and they did a decent enough job. I think Jordan Pickford actually uh, gave a little clap to the Hammy End fans at one point, which is decent of him. But yeah, it just they seem to defend pretty well as a team. I remember, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin like, cleared a really good header at one point as well. Yeah, that's certainly something that they, they seem to have about them this season. Um, and... That the fact that they managed to pick up Connor Cody from Wolves, I mean, look where Wolves are now. Um, it's a really, really astute signing. And to be honest, when we were scrambling about for a centre half at that time of the summer, we really could have done a lot worse and challenged them. Um, Jordan Pickford's always been a, a bit of an enigma, really. But there were certainly two stunning saves on Saturday evening that, I mean, I, few goalkeepers I think in the Premier League would have made. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one of them obviously being Williams. When we'll come on to that, I just want to quickly, when we're on the subject of centre backs, we'll start with Issa Diop starting again. And this has been, seems to be one of the topics at the moment after the game. Um, his best performance yet, do you think, Stato? Seems to be really gelling in now and some really good moments from him. Yeah, I think so. And that's, that's weird to say it was his best performance, considering, well, our defence didn't have that much to do, but. Part of that was because Reem and Diop did their job so kind of flawlessly. It didn't look like they had much to do. They, you know, retained the ball well. They they intercepted it well. And Diop, he, I, I said in the uh, in the Fulham Focus group chat during the game that I think I'm starting to prefer him over Tosin in the starting lineup now. And I can't quite put my finger on why. But I think maybe he's better physically. He he seems stronger, more assertive on the ball. Tosin. He always seemed to. There's always that element of he seems a bit nervous here and there, and he he's a bit cautious and a bit hesitant. Whereas Diop, he's a bit more like a bull in a china shop in a good way, in that he just goes ahead and does something, but he does it with that confidence that you know he's going you know he's going to pull it off okay. And mm. it's it's encouraging to see. And you know that's not to say that Tosin should be you know demoted to the bench. It's really good to have to see that we have three very competent centre-backs all battling for a place um, you could even say four if you want to include Duffy in that we haven't really seen what he's made yeah. of but you know competition is high right now and it's good to see I think that's been a huge reason for why it's working so well I think obviously the competition is working for Issa Diop to bring out these sort of performances you mentioned obviously Tosin and his uh, you know the ball at his feet and looks a bit shaky obviously Diop started like that but has become a lot more assured as each game's gone by when he's been playing um, Sam, do you think, going to what Stato says there, what do you think he's doing that uh, Tosin isn't doing for to be starting this game? Is there anything you've noticed? 
I feel like it's his, it's his ability to bring the ball out of the fence. Um, and I, I feel that's why he's currently being favoured over Tosin. It's something that Reem has, has really done very well now for a couple of seasons without much fanfare. Um, and it's a way I feel Silva likes to play. And as I say, Diop is doing it very well. Again, on Saturday, uh, out of all of our outfield players, he had the, the highest um, success rate when it came to passing. Mm. And I just feel like it's another option in terms of starting attack. I th- Stato asked the question, "What? Why did he? Why was it his best performance when we had you know so much of the play?" And I feel that was it. He was getting the chance to to get on the ball, come out, and spray passes around. And I think that's going to be really important for the rest of the season. Yeah, some people have described some of the diagonal passes made as quite. Um... Joachim Anderson-esque um, there was also a really great bit where he did a lovely tackle on Anthony Jordan uh, breaking breaking their breakaway at one point which is good to see uh, look we'll move on and we'll go on to the Brazilian watch now last episode we talked about Andreas Pereira and how brilliant he, wa- he was and I think he's I actually just looked this up just a few minutes ago it was from who scored and I mean I think he's yeah only Kevin De Bruyne has made more key passes than Andreas Pereira 34 uh, Pereira's made the season to Kevin De Bruyne's 40. So that's that's amazing. And Pereira, I thought, actually wasn't as good as he has been the past few games. But from one Brazilian to the other, I just want to talk about how good William was here. And that shot that you talked about earlier, um, that amazing save that Jordan Pickford was. I mean, uh, William's stats for this game, I mean, he just keeps on drilling these performances out. His game by numbers versus Everton is 100% dribbles completed, 91 pass accuracy, uh, 64 touches, 29 out of 33 final third passes completed, 4 out of 5 long balls completed, 4 key passes, and 2 out of 3 ground duels won. I mean, I think that's a, a man of the match performance if ever I heard one. Um, just your thought, your thoughts on Willian and maybe what Pereira wasn't doing as well as the last few games. I'll go to you, Stato. Yeah, I think I'll be first to admit, and I'll put my hand up, that when we signed Willian, I was very... It was a very questionable signing, and it's like, well, is this really what we need? Is a Brazilian winger coming back from the Brazilian league, 34 years old, past it? But he has absolutely proved me, and I'm sure many other Fulham fans, completely wrong. And this performance, you know, was definitely the best so far. You, you gave, you mentioned all the stats, and you know, it was clear to see. And what I love about, you know, when a player puts in a performance like this is that even the team itself knows so during the game you could just see the midfield they knew just to get it out to William because he was just having that type of game where he was making things happen you know I remember remember there was a very uh, specific point when Kearney had the ball and he just looked up to try and find William and get it to William because he was experienced to know that you know he was the one who was creating chances and and you know giving us the best you know possibility of scoring and it was really, really good to see, and you know he's such an intelligent winger as well, and he's still got that bit of pace so he can get past the player. But you know, it's the way he can drop his shoulder and you know turn the other way, the way he can retain the ball, control the ball so closely to him as well. It was, it was a really, really good performance to see, and I, I really hope he can keep it up. To be fair, because if we can, then that is, you know, low key one of the signings of the season. Yeah, and just that that shot was absolutely incredible, like you said there, Sam. What, what do you want to add there, Sam? And we can also go on to the penalty shot that should have been. Well, I would just echo everything that Stato said there. I thought he was absolutely superb, full of intent, guile, skill, 
quick with his feet and obviously with his brain as well. There was one crossfield pass in the first half that just left me absolutely speechless. It was that good. I can't, can't remember if it was for Robinson or Pereira. Um, but I don't think a player has ever proved so many people wrong so quickly um, since he, he, he just he settled in. He looks like he's really enjoying his football. A far cry from sort of those who saw him play for Arsenal a couple of years back. And again, just to repeat what Stato says, long may that continue. Mm. And, and would you say that, I mean... I, I hate sort of talking about like go doing a podcast and talking to you guys. Say, oh, was it a red card? Was it a penalty? I think we all agree that was a penalty, right? Sato, you know that's just. I mean, oh, yeah, even watching it live, yeah, exactly. And for you, Sam, that's a penalty for of you course. too. Of course, yeah, of course, yeah. It, it's it a shame. Really, it's really a shame. It was really weird. Like that, I was watching it on TV, and the commentary team and Sky they just breezed over it like it was nothing. And it's like, hang on, let's look at it again. There's clear contact didn't get the ball at all why why are sky not looking at this more why aren't var looking at it more I, 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 like they did like they breezed over it so quickly we didn't even get an official explanation as to why it wasn't a penalty and i still i still have to get it now. get it's... it finished up so they could get liverpool leads on afterwards <laughs> yeah <laughs> let the conspiracy theories start They'll never end. It's just the consistency of uh, VAR seems to still be an absolute conundrum and mystery to me. But, you know, I, I don't know why you can't just stop playing, just look back on something that looks so flipping obvious. But uh, we move on. I mean, we've talked about the renaissance of players. So you've talked about, obviously, how good William's been and proved people wrong and how Silver has improved the people like Reem and, and Bobby and, and William and Pereira. But I, I feel like we talked about that last episode as well. But what I'd really like to move on with is, is just... Anthony Robinson has just been freaking brilliant recently. I-, I thought he was probably the second best player on the pitch um, to Willian. Maybe, maybe joint. Um, I just want—I'll go straight back to you, Sam, with that and just what you thought uh, Robinson's been providing the last few games. The speed that he's going at is actually something else. Yeah, I- I've I've delved into the statistics on this one. I've I've studied the metrics. I've explored the anecdotal evidence of sports psychologists and and all the evidence (laughs) points to uh, a player that has been transformed into an absolute baller ever since he went viral for that car trick Uh, I I really can't can't put it down to anything else it's uh, it's just magic his his pace is obviously a huge asset and I seem to sort of feel like it's becoming maybe not increasingly important in the Premier League but it's more of a factor in the Premier League than the Championship I don't really have a reason to back that up. Perhaps there's a, a greater consistency of quality where in the Premier League where that extra pace makes the difference. But he just seems to be, yeah, full of confidence. And it is really good to see because he, he got a hard time last season when we were, let's face it, when we were having a really, really good time. Um, and he never, never sort of let his head drop. He never sort of gave the impression that he was fed up. Um, so it's really good to see him getting some plaudits now I mean Everton fans were saying they couldn't believe they let him go after watching him play to be honest I didn't even know he was in Everton's books until some fans said it I thought it was just Wigan but there, obviously his previous past in history before Wigan I mean every footballer has lots of history of clubs uh, Stato what are your feelings on just do you think it's a bit too um, ambitious of me to say he's probably within the top five or top eight left bags and uh, left backs in the league at the moment I think he just looks I can't think of many others that look as promising as him based on form right now not at all he he's definitely up there as one of the top five left backs in the league I can't actually think of many who are playing better than him yeah. at the moment I mean 
mainly because Man City don't have an out-and-out left-back. Um, you know, I'm actually blanking here on actually left-backs that are playing well at the moment. So, you know, you could even make a case to say he's one of the, the informed left-back in the Premier League at the moment. And that's a huge testament to how far he's come as a player, but also to how Silva has coached him as well. It's, you know, you mentioned how players are having a renaissance at the moment, but I don't think he falls into that category because he actually was half decent in the Premier League under Parker, and we know who who always had that talent. And he's almost like he's almost like he's he's one of those players that is almost better in the Premier League than he is the Championship because he has that physicality to compete. We don't we don't tend to have the ball as much a lot of the time, so his defending and which is what he kind of excels at comes into play a lot more. You know, he still needs to work on his end product a bit with the crossing, but you know the fact that he's still getting in opportunities and positions to put crosses in, you know, says a lot about him as a player and his athleticism. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I mean to do with the championship under Silva, we were reliant a lot on more sort of possession football and 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 quite Slavica-esque sort of passing our way through to you know to score. And and Parker, I can imagine he was good because we we played a lot of counter-attacking football, so his speed was a lot more useful. So I can see actually that, that maybe it's to do with a bit a, more of a balance. Would you say? I, I think that's the playing? thing as well. I mean, one of my favourite things this season has been seeing him storming down the left overlapping as we're, we're breaking on the counter-attack it's like at times this season it's been a thing of beauty yeah it looks brilliant I think like a good kind of comparison or, or analogy to this is looking at our right back side where in, where in last year toward, in the second half of the season Neko Williams was referred to Kenny Tete and I don't think anybody had any disagreements about that because we were the dominant team we were the team that could attack and Neko could almost play that kind of Cancelo role at Man City where yeah, he's a fullback, but he's pretty much playing as a winger and getting the crosses in. And he was better than Tete. He was better than Tete at that in that regard. But now in the Premier League, Tete's one of our best players because we do need to defend a lot more. And Tete's a kind of a really solid defender at that. And if we had Neko Williams, Tete would still be ahead of him by miles so far. You know, because of the nature of how we're playing now and the nature of the opposition that we're up against. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, I mean, I mean, I think it's on the when is it? The twenty fifth of November, England play the USA. So as long as none of our lads uh, injure him, then all good. I mean, he might get injured before that, but I'm sure he'll be fine. He's obviously it shows how how useful he's going to be to that USA team for sure. Um, I'd like to move on quickly to the sort of the missed chances and just the idea. If you just bear with me, this because I in the group was sort of saying. I had a few pints and I was a bit pissed and I, I wasn't trying to like actually I, I was being a bit of a troll I don't actually think Mitrovic was shit at all but um, maybe slightly lackluster I mean Sarge for instance made comments on how he's been much improved this game with his physicality and link up play despite scoring and I just I'd like to go to your thoughts on this um, Sam just on, on Mitrovic and if there's any evidence that he might be I don't know, just conserving his energy or worrying about his injury again for the World Cup. I don't want to get pissed too many people off that listen to this thinking that I'm dissing Mitrovic, I'm not. No, I think there's been a couple of games recently since he came back from that ankle knock where he he was slightly rusty. But I actually don't think this was one of them. I thought he played well. I feel like in the aftermath of, of Saturday's game, there's a tendency now to read too much into either sort of the statistics that that Sky produce in terms of 
having 10 shots at goal, which was the most of any player not to score since 2017. But then also you have the, the fantasy players who have him in their team and fuming that he, he only has one point. Uh, and suddenly the narrative becomes, oh, he had a bad game. I don't think he did. I I thought he, he dealt with the the challenge of Cody and Tarkovsky that we've spoken about already very well. And he was in the right place to really to be creating those chances, often for himself. Uh, yeah, he was off target with a few, but I, to be honest, if he, he, as I say, if he's having the shots, the goals will come. We know that the goals will come with him. Yeah. Compare it to, to Dominic Calvin-Lewin, who spent most of the evening either anonymous or offside. So <laughs> I'm pretty pleased with his performance. Fair enough. What are your thoughts, Stato, on Mitrovic's this game? Obviously, I, th- I think you made it clear in the group that obviously he's, uh, he, you know, he deserves an off game. And uh, also the challenge actually on um, in in Dries Gay at one point that was uh, I think he was quite lucky there. Or would you say the intention actually the lack of intention makes it all right? In in a VAR world, you could say he is quite a lucky boy because you know VAR just like to give red cards and moving games where possible. Obviously, it wasn't intentional at all. He was a bit late on the challenge and it did look high. And if it would have been a red card, we'd be annoyed. But looking at it, you could be like, fair enough, that was a bit of a dirty challenge. But at the same time, the fact that the ref didn't give a red card to begin with, you know, VIR exists, uh, the rule is like, um, if it's not there to overturn a ref, if if they think a ref made a wrong decision. I don't think it was a wrong decision. But it's also one of those where if the ref did give a red card, they wouldn't have overturned it either. So, you know, it's, it's not not lucky in the sense, but, you know, I can understand why it wasn't given and why it wasn't a red card. Yeah, As, going back to kind of if he had an off day or not, you know, I, I work in data in a daily business and that's my job. And one kind of my pet peeve of data and people that handle data is their over-reliance on it almost that it's a case like yes data exists in many different forms in the case of football it's all these stats but it's only one small ingredient to the whole picture it's you need to have you need to add that context you need to add that kind of expertise and you know actually knowledge about these stats so yes he had 10 shots I think it was in one game which is more shots than any any player this season I, I can't remember if it was 10 shots off target but then look at how he got those shots, look at how he created those chances himself, which other players mm-hmm. wouldn't have done. Look at the types of shots he was having. So, you know, some they weren't exactly one on one open goal type shots. They you know, some of them were kind of far fetched shots outside the box or shots where players were closing him down, so it was always going to be really hard to get it on target or to try and beat Pickford. So, you know, it's not him having an off day like Sam said, it's encouraging that he's actually getting those shots away and he's creating those chances. It's better for him to do that than have the striker like Sam said, Cavaloon, where you're just either offside or not creating chances whatsoever. And you know that's not that's not that's not dissing Cavaloon in any way because he he's a good striker in his own right. He was kind of isolated by his whole team to be fair. He didn't have much going for him, and it was kind of good for Marvin to see that one, Mitrovic was creating those chances, and two, we have a team that kind of can help him create those chances and give him those opportunities to get those chances. 
Yeah, totally. I, I think also, I mean, what should be said is actually he had opportunities when he was injured or we thought he was injured to, to come off and Marcus Silva made a very clear point that he, he refused to. So I, 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 you know, I should get out of my head that somehow in his head is Qatar and he's not actually, uh, you know, a wave of the fairy slightly to to roles of Serbia. If I could just add actually um, on, on that, uh, mate, yeah. on that gay challenge, um, and I, I won't delve into whether I thought it was a red card or not. It wasn't. Um, I feel like he, he's he's a very clever player and he knows that when he's on a yellow card, he needs to sort of withdraw some of the intensity from his game. He, he's naturally an aggressive striker. And I feel like when he picks up a yellow card, he does suddenly think, right, I, I better not do anything else daft in this game. And I feel like maybe that's when you sort of start to see maybe Mitrovic at sort of 80% um, intensity. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that he was withdrawn against Newcastle as well. Uh, obviously, the injury being a factor, but he was on the yellow card. The game was done. He's He's got a knock. Let's get him off. Well, before we move on, actually, can either of you tell me, um, I've heard rumours of this, and I actually genuinely don't know the answer. Has Mitrovic got one more yellow card before he is suspended for a a few games or a game or two. Does anyone know this? Believe so. I think he does. Can't okay. confirm it, but I think I saw a stat that's like he's one yellow card, one more yellow card away. Uh, Declan yeah. Reed's already got that yellow card, so he misses City. That's that's right. Yeah, I, I, um, I saw I saw one fan on Twitter suggesting we should rest Mitrovic against City uh, because of the potential suspension. I'm not too sure about that personally, but um, if anything, yeah. if anything, <laughs> if anything, I'd be in favour of him just getting a yellow card against City, and then he just misses the United game, and then he's back for the World Cup without having to worry about any suspensions. But you know, mm. I don't, I don't really want us to play and be strategic like that, and to try and play for yellow nah. cards. Uh, just to confirm, Mitrovic, Harrison Reed, and Kenny Tete are all one yellow card away from a one-match suspension. Oh my goodness! Doesn't okay. it? It resets at some point in the season. I can't remember when. I don't. I know think it's, it's much later. Is it? Yeah, like more towards. How the ridiculous point. it would be if Kenny Tete gets one in the next game after being out for a few. Games. <laughs> I mean, anyway, well, that's that's really useful to know. Thank you. And I'm, look, I'm not trying to go into the next scapegoat point. I'm just trying to just talk about what's being talked about, you know, on Twitter or the such um, Harry Wilson uh, Sam what, how are your feelings how he's been since his return I mean uh, he didn't get a start this time he was Cabano over him and there was a moment I think right towards the end of the game of a bit of a mace place pass which obviously people were very frustrated with and probably a bit overreactionary um, I just want your thoughts on Harry Wilson and if he is looking a bit meh to you uh, I feel like he's still getting up to speed and that's to be expected. He's He's been out for a long time. Um, personally, bringing him on on Saturday, it wasn't a substitution I would have made. I felt like we were building a lot of momentum there for a grandstand finish. And we kind of lost it when Harry came on. Uh, I know Dan James appears to have his critics, but I felt like he may have been a better option in the circumstances. Again, purely for the, the, the pace asset after uh, Cabano and... William has sort of run the fullbacks ragged. Um, it's going to take time with Harry, and you know perhaps it will be the fact that he goes and has a decent World Cup with Wales that that plays him back into a bit of fitness and a bit of form um, for the 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 season starting up again, which would be great for us in the second half. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm 
withholding my judgment on him at this level for now because I I feel like it would be unfair. No, but it's an interesting time because you've got obviously Mana Solomon, who obviously was just seen recently actually putting on his boots, so he's he's due to come back soon. What are your thoughts on Wilson Stato in terms of his um, transition to the Premier League and your thoughts if he might if the competition with Solomon might do him good because it actually seems at the moment probably not. I wouldn't suggest him as a first choice at the moment. I know it's hard to be harsh because of the, you know, shaking off his injury and stuff at the moment. I just want to know what yeah, you think. All. And I think Wilson, if he listens to these podcasts or not, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't he does. want... He does. He, he, does. he, he definitely does. Uh, he yeah. wouldn't want to be, you know, someone who just gets put back into the team instantly. I think most players, they can see that we're quite an attractive team at the moment. Everyone's playing on form and you have to earn your place. You have to earn your way back into that team and he would want to do that. And... You know, I agree with all with everything Sam said. That it's too harsh, too too early to judge him, and it's really it, it you know it'd be really hard if you're injured to kind of get up to speed with this team suddenly. Like he's he's kind of still back, you know, in that almost pre-season phase of of where he's at mentally, where he's at physically. So it's going to take a while for him to get back up to speed. The only kind of small concern I would voice and again this isn't criticising in any way is you know having Willian and Cabano and James and even Decodoba Reed um, on the wings they've all got that pace and kind of almost physicality that you want from our wingers and and that's how we've set up to play Wilson doesn't have those attributes he has other you know other favourable attributes but it doesn't fit with the kind of pacey wingers that we have so, you know, I may be wondering, is he better off maybe in a more central position potentially or, you know, if we set up in a different way, would he be better, you know, in a different position that isn't on the wing? Because, like you say, we have got Solomon coming back and it was always going to happen because we had four wingers, two or three of them got injured during the transfer window, so we brought another two in because we needed to buy another two in, otherwise we'd have none. And then suddenly we're going to be at a point where all six or seven are back fit and they're fit firing, um, competing for two positions on the pitch out of seven. And it's always going to be really competitive. So yeah, maybe it'd be in Wilson's interest or maybe it'd be in, in the club's interest for him to maybe play in a bit more of a central role. And we, we've talked about that before with um, potentially doing that even last season. I could see it maybe being an option. I'm not too sure. I think it's interesting. I mean, Pereira was brought off for Tom Kearney at some point, and I thought Tom Kearney changed the game and laid it a lot more direct down the middle, and it, it sort of changed the dynamic a bit. It was a bit almost not to the degree of how ridiculous he looked, but like when he came on for that a, a couple of games ago at home, and it, he just suddenly looked like you know Kevin De Bruyne breaking lines, and just I mean it was very easy because obviously Bournemouth was sitting back the whole time but I feel like that was a move that could have been made slightly earlier maybe um, and maybe actually we do need more options with Pereira's having enough game and not just Kearney to bring on so it is, it's 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 a worthy idea I, I mean Harry Wilson for me um, even in the championship I always thought he was obviously fantastic you just got to look at the stats he provided but he always had a bit of a streakiness to him but I think as Sam says it's too early to write him off and it's it's just it's just a 
a matter of just waiting for him to get up to speed and obviously for the World Cup to conclude for Wales because that's a huge that must be a huge amount of pressure you must be flying all over the place coming back from injury playing for Fulham impressing for Fulham trying too hard for Fulham maybe and also just you know knowing that the World Cup he has to be fit for you know playing alongside Gareth Bale you know it's, it's, a, it's a big deal um, there's some talk on Twitter and I just wanted to it's bit of fun maybe not but Bernd Leno um, was being said called rather as our best since Mark Schwarzer and this is exactly the same fucking thing that was said about Ariola two seasons ago and I don't know I mean maybe it's too early yet but I mean I I, I don't know I, I, can you see can you see Schwarzer over to um, sorry can you see Leno overtaking the Ariola sort of love uh, Mr. Sam yeah it's certainly too early to say I I remember some people thought David Stockdale was really good early on, so you need, <laughs> you need to be careful about making these uh, these vocal opinions. However, I have been really, really impressed, uh, not just with his shot stopping, but his confidence, command of the area, and his ability to read the game. Uh, that was most notable for me at Nottingham Forest. I remember sort of saying to the person next to me at halftime at Forest that, I felt like if we could sort of see out the first 10 minutes of the second half, we'd have a really good chance. And there were two moments early on where I think Johnson or or Gibbs-White went through on goal. But his starting point was so good in his area that he just comfortably came out and got the ball, whereas I feel previous goalkeepers would have been second best to it. And I just feel it's, it's that kind of ability that really make a top goalkeeper so... I feel like there possibly will be reasons to draw comparisons with someone like Mark Schwartz down the line. Stata, do you want to just add anything to that? Or are you good? Um, the only thing I was going to add is that Ariola, Ariola, he, he almost suffered from Callum Chambers syndrome in that we were so bad, he kind of stood out as one of the key performers. And that's not saying he was bad himself. He was very good and he would not look out of place in this team whatsoever. He'd fit in very well. But the reason people loved him so much is because there wasn't much to love. And he was kind of a bright point in a very dull season and that's kind of why people loved Ariola so much and Leno may not get the same amount of kind of love or plaudits because everyone's playing well and everyone is doing their job so it's kind of harder to stand out if everyone's doing their job well but you know I'd kind of it's, it's early days but you know I'd say that kind of level pegging in terms of ability yeah I just 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 something to bring up from what people are chatting about, and another thing people are chatting about: Marcus Silver at the start of the season, or maybe just at the end of last season, said we're going to need to make um, Craven Cottage this type of atmosphere, and, and I believe that was the atmosphere when we won seven nil, um, which is quite hard to replicate, of course. And Mitrovic obviously breaking that record in that amazing game, but I will say, you know. The atmosphere of the cottage has been brilliant because obviously we're playing well, but I just want your thoughts on what you think this might be down to, Sam. If you think it's maybe the the, the Riverside stand or it's the lack of clappers or just just general general vibes of us just being a lot better than the other times we've been at the Premier League of late. I think it's a combination of all three. Um, yeah, certainly the the removal of the clappers was long overdue. They had their their place during the the great escape season in 2008 and then the, the Europa League campaign. But they've really been diluting the, the noise in the ground for a long time now. So to see them gone is great. Uh, the Riverside stand does seem to be keeping... I, I don't know, I'm, I'm no no physicist. I don't know if it's the acoustics or something, but but the noise is certainly seems to be remaining in the ground more. And, uh, 
and as you say the performances mean that we have actually got something to sing about um, yeah I just only mentioned it because obviously the, I mean the Khans were in town and uh, there were scarves again and I feel like it's amazing what actually instead of getting rid of artificial crap and you know bad for the environment rubbish that the clappers were like you actually I mean I'm, I'm saying that I'm not sure if the I'm not I'm not sure exactly that the, the scarves are made from eco-friendly material but still like it just it's amazing like how flags and scarves and just you know waving and 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 sp- spinning them just can suddenly just make everything a lot more just just something about everything that's going on at the moment seems a lot more vibrant and I think probably down to maybe why we're making the the cottage a bit of a fortress um just your thoughts on that stato and 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 just I'm doing that annoying thing where I ask you about four questions in one that I saw that the Khans were in town both of them um do you think there's um a new Marcus Silver contract on the horizon uh <laughs> Maybe I think it was more to the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars were playing at Wembley this weekend as well. Oh, well, they, that, they that's, down that's it then. There you got, you got it. You got it in one. That's probably they, it. They, they, they were just doing they were just doing the the one two double for both their sporting franchises in the same city. Right there you go. Um, <laughs> but it's a valid point in that Marco Silva does deserve a new contract soon, and it's in our interest to get him tied down to one sooner rather than later because. You don't want other clubs to come around sniffing. No, I mean, it seems to be that... A lot, I like that we're going under the radar, but I, mean, I think when we eventually win at City, um, it's it's then going to be really, you know, everyone's going to start noticing a lot more, and then everyone will think Marcus Silva should go to a, a much bigger club with, a, a, with Champions League football. But we'll be in the Champions League by then, that's fine. Um, Sam, I, I want to talk to you really quickly before we go to the City preview, which will only be, like, brief I want to talk just quickly about the relegation battle what have you seen so far would you that makes you suggest the three that would go down roughly well Nottingham Forest being dreadful yeah Wolves being dreadful Mm -hmm. and Bournemouth probably ended up being dreadful I'd say it's I feel like teams like Leicester and Villa um, and even Southampton have have enough about them to to eventually put a couple of wins together and pull away. Um, personally, after rooting against them all of last season, I would like to see Bournemouth stay up, assuming it's not our detriment. Um, but I just feel if they do go on a losing run, much like their last relegation season from the Premier League, they they started off quite well that year. Um, but then as soon as they started to to lose games after Christmas, they really went on a downward spiral. And I suspect that yeah. could be could be the case again. Do you have any ideas, stats of what team would favour um, one of the bottom lot at the moment the most from a World Cup break a few months off? I mean, I can see that uh, Lopetegui is now actually in talks again with Wolves which is a, a, in my opinion a fucking amazing appointment if it you know if they get him um, it doesn't always pull up you know it doesn't always work out those sort of big appointments but that that's a something like that for some of these clubs could suddenly and obviously you've got um, Unai Emery at Villa I just want to know your thoughts and who you think might actually start to change things around after the World Cup yeah I, th- I think a case can be made for all of those teams to benefit from a you know a break during this World Cup Forest, you know, so all their players can kind of gel and they can try and get a team put together. Although, you know, they are dreadful. They've conceded the most goals, scored the second fewest. It's kind of hard to see if how they could kind of start 
putting results together. I know they beat Liverpool, but that's not really saying much considering how Liverpool are playing at the moment and the fact that they got dicked by Arsenal 5-0 the week afterwards. I think, you know, they, they are a lost course. I think Bournemouth, you can make a claim that it was kind of the new manager bounce that got them through recent results with, and also the fact that they got released from the shackles of Parker. But that is starting to fizzle out a bit now and if you do look at the quality of their squad, it is a very bang average squad that will probably go down with Forest. And then I do look around at the other teams and... I know Wolves are rubbish at the moment, but and if they do get um, Lopetegui, <laughs> if they do get him in, that's a good appointment, like you say. And they haven't got a terrible squad. There is a squad full of quality there. They'll get players coming back from injury, like um, like Jimenez, like that other striker that they signed at the beginning of the season. I can't remember his name. Like Neto, there's quality there. They got they still got players like Ruben Neves, Pedence. Uh, Adama, I know he can blow hot, hot or cold, um, but he's still a useful asset to have. And I'd be surprised if they do go down. I'd like to think they would get their shit together and would get some results together. I just feel with Wolves, too many things have gone wrong for them this season, and it kind of has the, the makings of a classic relegation campaign they brought in the new striker yeah. and he lasted 45 minutes before doing his ACL they bring in Costa he gets sent off for violent conduct he'll be out for three games all the injuries they're having sort of um, Neto and and they obviously got rid of Cody at the start of the season because they wanted to play a, a back four and then Bruno Large gets the sack and it just seems all these decisions and and bad luck are just playing into one aspect after another and it's going to end with them back in the championship yeah, yeah, yeah. I do see that. Uh, Leeds, I think, are another big team that could be in trouble as well. Again, they got a really good result against Liverpool, but I look at that squad and there's not that much quality there that I can see. They got they sold Rafinha, Bamford. He looks miles off it at the moment. He looks, you know, he doesn't look completely fit to play. And they've always banked so in recent years they've banked on having like using their academy and having always having academy players on the bench and it's a case that a lot of this academy team are playing now and they they don't look ready like that. Somerville, he looks like a really good prospect, but the fact that he's shouldering a lot of responsibility at the moment the, you know, there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot that could go wrong for that Leeds team because it's very young and there's not that much quality there, I don't think. Yeah. I just as long as I mean you mentioned about what things can change and I think Liverpool are doing so badly at the moment apparently they're going to be in for a central defensive midfielder of some kind in the January window um, as long as they stay from away from Palinia then that's absolutely fine by me I just want to make a special mention of Palinia in the Everton game actually from another stat it's uh, 43 touches 10 ball recoveries 5 out of 5 ground duels 1 4 out of 4 tackles 1 2 out of 3 aerial duels 1 2 clearances and 1 long ball complete I mean just I mean this guy is absolutely incredible and we've obviously congratulated him on the wife on the wife of his child sorry the birth of his child with his wife but um just, he's probably he's probably he's, done all that off a week where he's had no sleep as well i bet I, I can guarantee it i can guarantee it i mean he's just been absolutely phenomenal for us i mean you've got ruben neves for wolves who maybe could go to or or maybe or maybe a tillemans um who could go to liverpool as well and if a tillemans went from leicester then that that could really change things up but uh, well 
we'll see we'll see how we go it's just good to get a little preview of what we think might happen and then we'll just quickly talk about our win against Man City um, who are doing really badly at the moment I, I actually feel sorry for them I, I just want to know what your thoughts are on this game Stato because there are a few factors at play here well first of all the, the one being that actually um, the trains have completely messed everything up and poor Matthew Wiggins has to get on a coach um, with regular people <laughs> to this one apparently he's livid about it but but also we've, we know Bobby Reed won't be playing and we know well, we don't know. There's been a new Harland riddle that's going on at the moment because apparently he might might be available, but he might not. And I just never trust what Pep's saying of this sort of thing. Um, just general thoughts on Man City, man. Um, it's a really it's it's a strange time now, and that's mainly because of the World Cup. You know, any other season, it's like right, we've got Manchester clubs back to back, and then we're going to just get back on with the Premier League and try and get some results. But it's the fact that. We've come out of a very kind of favourable fixture list in October where we've done as expected and done quite well. And now we've just got these final two games, which I know United aren't great, but they are two of the top six clubs that we'll probably not do too well against because they are two really kind of two good big clubs. So it's kind of a bit like, do we take the foot off the gas a bit? Which we won't do. I I wouldn't expect us to do that, but... It's kind of like bonus extra games at the end of this period and then we break for a month and then we get put back to it properly and yeah when whenever we play city whenever you know a team like us of our size plays city it's kind of a damage limitation type game especially at the Etihad it's like right let's just try not to lose too badly Burnley were always the best at that they'd always get like dicked 5-0 or something but then they'd bounce back the following yeah. week and win like 1-0 against of Southampton like they just brush it off like it was nothing and I think you know that could happen to us it's kind of out of our control almost like if City just turn up on their day and decide to play the best they can with or without Haaland what can we do about that and I think for us it's just a case of go to there try and play our game if we lose if we lose badly don't take you know don't read anything into it just move off and go on to the next one and it's it's, it's it's annoying that we have to think like that because you want to uh, uh, you want you want to play and compete in every game in the Premier League and we have done that for every game but this City team I think are the exception to that because there's just so much quality there and mm. you know, they're arguably one of the best teams in the world at the moment and it's yeah it's it's it's, I mean, it's weird it's weird whenever we play City like you don't uh, I mean even, it's hard to, Sorry, you go. The thing is, even without no, I beg your pardon, man. I was just going to say, even without Haaland, is that you know they have Alvarez, who's you know not been too bad for them and looks quite dangerous. I mean, their last game, and you're only as good as your last game, so we'll look at it. They had John Stones at right back. They had um, Akanji as centre back, but who um, not Ruben Neves? Who am I thinking? Ruben Diaz came and replaced at some point. You got Laporte, who was the other centre back. Cancelo, who's been brilliant. De Bruyne, Rodri, and Gundogan as the midfield three, and they had Bernardo Silva on the right wing. Alvarez as a striker, as I said, and Grealish on the left. And and, and they didn't really bring. I don't think they brought on Mares. Maybe I can't really remember. But it just you know even that seems quite lackluster to actually what's going on on the bench. I mean, it's oh the Haaland that obviously is a bit injured at the moment. Um, Sam, your thoughts on Man City and just um how bad this could get or how good this could get in your opinion yeah I was just thinking along similar lines to Stato although I was going to articulate them in a, a much more of a a, a tantrumy toddler way by saying I actually I just don't care it's the one fixture I don't care about because 
the beautiful thing about being a football fan is you turn up every season, every game, and regardless of how bad you've been, how few goals you've scored, how many you've let in, how broke you are, you always have hope. As a football fan, you should always have hope. And it just feels like this is now a fixture where you don't have any hope. There's no hope. You're going to get beat. <laughs> You're going to get beat. And it is really just a matter of how many it is. Um, I've actually planned to go away. It's something I've never, ever do is go away during the season. I'm going away this weekend because I just don't really want to have anything to do with that game. So right. if I, I keep track of, keep track of the score on my phone and we lose 3-0, I'll, be, I'll probably just be quite pleased that we've got through it without too much damage in terms of the goal difference and and again as as Stato rightly says let's hope we can bounce back with at least a, a performance where we compete against Manchester United because I've given up on this game already okay now lads I don't even want to it's, ask it's you about your say, score it's, predictions it's, now what do you mean what's going on go on Stato it's, it's, it's hard to say like to go in with no hope but I get it but you know at the same time I'm not going to go into this game and be like oh we've lost let's just give up and you know go six at the back and just try not to no, of course. Try, I mean, if the, if the players thought like that, I'd be fuming. But it's just, it, oh, it's it's hard with yeah. them. Just they're so no, yeah, so clear it, of it. everyone else. Yeah, I I I I I I think we're gonna win. <laughs> Personally, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're gonna. I think we're That's gonna win. That's the spirit. I think I think we'll be their second defeat of the season. Though. Mate, if we win on on Saturday, I will fly back from Berlin that night, and we'll go out and celebrate. All right, cool. Uh, I, I think I don't know. I don't. I think we could maybe get a draw. It's just it's the fact that it's everyone seems so like, you know. Oh, it's a free hitty sort of vibe in their head. Actually, maybe we might. Stranger things happen. You know. I, I just I don't know what to. I, I mean, I don't. I don't feel I should even ask you for a score prediction after how. The um, ironic thing is, it, it is a ground that we have a, a good history at. Like we've we've produced some brilliant wins there over the years, but just have we? the money that they. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, like about fifteen years ago, but it, it didn't yeah, happen. right, okay, for, um, yeah. yeah, just with the money, pre-oil, Guardiola, yeah, and now the likes of Haaland, it's it just seems too much. All right, well, I, I'll leave it at that. I think we're going to win. So uh, there you go. Um, happy Fuck it, three two full. I'll be, I'll be, I'll, three two full. Yeah, I'll be positive. Um, <laughs> My positive is being that we'll get a draw, um, mm. and like even yeah, like even a one nil loss, like we'll take that. <laughs> yeah, like 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 Leicester did. You know, they they lost one nil to a De Bruyne free kick. If that was the case for us, you're kind of happy with that. You'd snap your hand off for a one nil loss to City at the Etihad. Yeah, but... totally, totally. I I completely agree. Well, look, that, that's let's let's leave it on a positive note as that. All right, it's been really nice. Unless you guys want anything else to say. Uh, but no. <laughs> you don't? Okay. Well, let's leave it at that. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much, my co-hosts. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please follow us. Please subscribe to us. We're on all the social media outlets. We're on all the type of apps that you use to listen to a podcast. And we'll be back. We'll be back with a review of this game and a preview of Manchester United. Thanks for listening and come on your ways. Fulham.